Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with health, resilience, and leadership coach Marla Warner about supporting workplace health and well-being. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Marla. Hi, Shelley. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself? Sure. My name is Marla Warner, and I'm the principal of a well-being and performance-focused consultancy called For Health Wellbeing Solutions. And I help organizations to build cultures of well-being while also helping individuals to enhance their resilience, performance, mental health, and overall well-being. And I do this through facilitation of programs, trainings, speaking engagements, and working with people one-on-one and providing coaching. And all of this really comes out of uh, many years, really a couple of decades at this point, that I've spent in the space of well-being and mental health. I first bring a degree in kinesiology and a general health sciences background, and I did some further training in mind-body sciences and spent 13 years at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto as a stress management therapist. And during my days at CAMH, I uh, had the opportunity to be both a student and a practitioner of mindfulness practices and have had extensive training through many features over the years and more recently completed the University of Toronto's Applied Mindfulness Specialist Program. And when I left CAMH in 2008, I completed my first coaching certificate as a health coach and a few years later as a positive psychology coach and more recently as a business and leadership coach. And I've had a particular interest and focus in the world of legal professionals and started providing CPD programs uh, back in 2010 in law firms and for other legal organizations and institutions across Canada and into the state, all with a focus of well-being and performance. And I bring all of that to legal professionals, as well as work with uh, teams and groups in, in law firms to support the culture of the firm, to be a, a firm where people are more fully engaged, where We can uh, work to minimize stress, to support resilience, to allow teams to function as effectively as possible. And and with leaders, I'm often supporting them to to develop their own leadership skills and qualities so that they can have the kinds of teams that they would like to have, teams that are collaborative, that are um, effective, that are, are functioning as, as high-performing teams and along the way supporting the leaders' resilience as well in this very busy and often chaotic climate in which they, they live. And that is so important because, I mean, oftentimes the emphasis is on the individual employee or lawyer to look at themselves and, and try to improve their health and look at strategies that they can employ, but looking at leaders and what they can do, uh, not only for themselves, but how that might trickle down to the lawyers in the firm, like that just makes such good sense to me. Yes, it it does. And we know that though it's important for people to take care of themselves and find those self-care 
strategies and tools that when it comes to a law firm, there's so many other factors that are involved. And so looking at the culture and the climate and the uh, structure um, of the, the firm, as well as what how leaders are actually leading their teams is so important as well for full well-being and to minimize burnout. And of course, that's a, that's a pretty hot topic these days. <laughs> That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, and particularly in light of the national wellness study that just came out last week. Um, yeah, pretty pretty alarming statistics there. Yeah, yeah, they they really are. And for the first time, we're seeing burnout in, in the more than fifty percentile range for people. Perceived stress as over fifty percent anxiety. So yeah, these these statistics are very real, and I know that in, in speaking with uh, associates, um, certainly, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing just how challenging their environments are and the costs that uh, that they're experiencing due to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we're we are talking about the cost on the individual um, associate, for example, but what about on a law firm? What's the sort of impact of associate well-being on a firm? Yes, good good question. Well, I think overall, the, the primary cost of, of poor well-being is attrition and, and all the costs that are associated to the firm um, with that. But you know, attrition isn't the the only possibility. Often people are experiencing poor well-being, but they stay. And so then you're going to see things like exhaustion, possibly depression, anxiety, overwhelm is is very common. Um, last spring, Bloomberg did some research on on lawyer well-being, and they found that when poor well-being was cited, it was often associated with lower job satisfaction. And, and between the two, there was a whole host of concerns that came up around that, you know, from relationship issues, from people being able to collaborate well, uh, make decisions, um, sleep overall, and as well increases in substance abuse. So many different um, concerns that, that firms will experience from for well-being and associates, yeah. and perhaps client dissatisfaction as well. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, are you saying that clients not being satisfied with the work of the associate? Potentially, if they're you're simply not getting the best out of people if well-being is declining, and so that that may manifest in in a whole range of areas. And then, and if people aren't sleeping well, you know, they're really not being able to. Uh, manage themselves and show up at their best, well, that, that could result in client dissatisfactions as, as perhaps they receive lower quality client service right. with their potentially burned out lawyers. Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking too, like about, you know, firms are clearly aware of the statistics and were aware of the statistics before this latest study. And some firms, I understand, have introduced wellness programs um, and are providing various supports within the firm. Are, I don't know if you can even speak this, but are they working? And what are some that are working better than others? Is this the way to go with a wellness program? Or how can we support the, um, the health and well-being of, of lawyers? Yeah, that's a big question for sure. <laughs> and I think there are many things that, uh, that firms can do. 
But I think it really means looking at, for sure, leader buy-in and and knowing that people at every level are are really interested in building a culture of well-being. So the programs are great, they're helpful, but it's more than that. You know, I know if I'm speaking to associates, for example, and we're talking about some of the self-care strategies that they can utilize, if they have a, a, a leader who is emailing them, you know, all day and all night and asking for responses, well, it's very difficult for them to ensure they're getting that good night's sleep or mm. taking some time out. And so it, it's, it's a bigger picture than simply programs. Um, I, I think that there are some firms that are starting to look at their a culture of well-being and what that means for them. And, you know, it, there, there are many different places there that people can develop these, a, a culture of well-being. And I think they have to really start um, with small steps, for sure, and with what is accessible to them. Very basically, and, and it may sound strange, but ensuring that people are interacting with civility and respect at all levels. Really, really beginning with this, this very basic sense of psychological safety. We know that that is... Uh, very impactful to people's well-being. And that means that often it's about what leaders are modeling in terms of their own behavior. We know that leaders always influence the culture, the resilience, engagement of their organizations, really either by default or by design. You know, their attitudes and their behaviors, they, they are, um, they're felt by everybody around them. So if they can be embedding healthy practices and and modeling healthy behaviors, um, that's a really great start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And any suggestions sort of to help leaders foster this idea of of psychological safety? Because that's such an interesting concept. Yeah, it is. And 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 just to to define what that is, um, Amy Edmondson is the person who really. Uh, defined it early on. And, and it's a belief that one won't be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, mistakes, being, um, not being afraid, basically, to, to make mistakes and not uh, with a sense that there will not be consequences for, for mistakes, because we all make them, of course. And so what leaders can do is they can Begin conversations, um, open up conversations where it is comfortable and normalized to talk about challenge and problems, both from a mental health perspective and just in general, sharing their own past challenges and experiences in, in an open and vulnerable way. That the, the idea that it's okay to not always feel okay. I know that uh, from clients I've spoken with, um, anecdotally, I would say making themselves available, accessible, and welcoming to people. And uh, this, this goes such a long way for somebody feeling secure and stable. And they're not always available and accessible. Yeah. Uh, certainly, just modeling appropriate behavior, saying thank you and please again, <laughs> it sometimes sounds pretty basic, but these things, again, really land with us, with our brains. They allow us to feel just as though we belong, we're a part of something. And it's, it's a fundamental human need that, that we all have. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's what they say and saying things like, 
know, I'm leaving early to, to go to my kid's soccer game and, and modeling that, that that's okay. You know, you'll be able to, to do the same perhaps, or asking people, do you think we have a healthy workplace culture here? Where can we improve? You know, maybe, you know, I have ideas. I'd love to hear from you. I hmm. think these aren't typically places where, where leaders and law firms go, but we're, we're sort of hoping that this is, this is the beginning. Or letting them know what vacation looks like. Well, I'm on vacation. I'll be taking a break from work mail, work emails. And when you're on vacation, I will expect that you don't respond to emails either. Wow. That one just hit me. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> is, there a, uh, is there a law firm leader that, um, that does that uh, yeah. successfully? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm honestly not sure. But uh, just putting parameters out is really the idea. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe, and I've heard from the uh, associates when they're getting an email, you know, at midnight, one in the morning, are they expected to respond to this? And so it might be the leader's pattern of behavior. This is when they work best and this is when they just put things out and that's what works for them. But just communicating what the expectations are. I work best late at night. This is what I like to do, but, you know, do not respond until you know, you, you're beginning your workday tomorrow. Yeah, that yeah. kind of thing, setting the parameters. Right. And are you finding that, I mean, how are, how are law firm leaders responding to these ideas? <laughs> I think we're early days, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> I really do. I think they are just really sort of starting to simmer and percolate and um, taking notice of these things. And, and actually, that's probably the first step is, is just stopping and pausing where they are and noticing what is going on in their firm and mm-hmm. how are people feeling? And, and I would back up to say that that is actually the first step is taking stock and assessing and what are we doing and how are our behaviors impacting others? Is there anything else that we could be doing? Yeah. Well, to me, having you in and, um, you know, running programs with the firm is such a great start. Like, I mean, I'm amazed that there's such uptake on, uh, on those types of services. Uh, so I think that's like an incredible step forward. It is. It, it definitely is. And I'm certainly grateful that that firms are are beginning to see the the benefits of these programs and also some of the universities as well. And and that's a really wonderful thing, too, that while students are, are going through law school, they're also starting to receive some of this information around resilience and around mindset and kind of how they will enter into the workforce to be their best selves, as well as understanding how to set some boundaries and uh, and communicate to others around their need for boundaries and and self care. Yeah, are there any other sort of specific things? I don't know, and and maybe it's just too hard to talk specific strategies. But I know myself and probably a lot of lawyers would be sort of think, okay, well, what are some of the tangible things that either I can do or, um, you know, we could as a team suggest to our leaders to explore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, there's a number of things that, that leaders can do. And one of them that's coming up more often is about talking about meaning and purpose. And we know from the positive psychology uh, research that meaning and purpose is a, is a really significant boost to our resilience and decreases stress and burnout. And so if if a leader 
finds meaning in their work in any way, whether it's because they help their clients directly or they um, help their clients end user, maybe like a hospital. But however, wherever they find meaning in their work, just talk about it and to talk about how, you know, ask and have conversations about where meaning fits in for, for their associates, for their colleagues. Because that really is, um, again, that, that really is going to help to diminish burnout for people to be able to, to focus on this. So these are conversations that can be had. Um, mm-hmm. Other things are actually acknowledging people for work well done. Mm-hmm. So naming and naming recognition, stating recognition, whether it's in a team meeting or on a one-on-one, but saying um, how you're thankful for something that was done, it came in on time. It, it could be a very quick uh, conversation or statement. But again, it lands in such a way so that our brains feel as though we, well, one, we, we kind of light up with this sense of accomplishment, of recognition. Again, a really strong human need that we have. It, it boosts a positive emotion in us. And that's really important as well. So, Positive emotions, we know, um, uh, allow us to feel better about what we're doing, to be more creative. Uh, They, again, are an antidote to stress, but law firms aren't generally known to be cultures of positivity or optimism. (laughs) But there are things that, that, uh, again, leaders can do, just, again, being intentional about how they talk to people, about setting a tone for providing um, more positive comments than negatives. We often just hear what didn't go well, the mistakes that were made, but naming, you know, that which is good. And even for, for leaders themselves, part of some of the resilient strategies that I often talk to them about are taking pauses in a day where they're not really adding to their to-do list because we know they're busy, but just noting something for which they're grateful or taking a moment to, you know, when they're walking, just to pause and take a breath or to pat their dog in the morning and, and notice that that's just a moment of feel good. But it's, it's noticing moments in their, in their day that feel good, that feel nice, and, and simply that. And that can, can make quite a difference. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that, you know, can trickle down too, because if you start your day or throughout your day, or there's these little sort of positive moments, you're starting to feel recharged. And as a result, you can pause a little bit before you react in sort of workplace situations and maybe empathize a little bit more with um, who you're working with. And we know that empathy is one of these traits. It's, it's sort of being considered the superpower of 2022 and beyond, and uh, really, really came out of the pandemic and the need for people to be heard and to feel as though they are recognized again and acknowledged and really being able to demonstrate compassion because you have an understanding of how somebody feels. And so empathy is a, is a really powerful antidote to feelings of stress and anxiety and absolutely contribute to, to overall well-being. And, and those, that is one of the leadership traits and qualities that I, I, um, I'm often working with with leaders. And, and again, in law firms, it's not necessarily one that comes naturally and yet 
so important for people. And the other is gratitude. I mentioned acknowledging and recognizing people. And it often sounds like such a, a trite, you know, area. <laughs> There's so much research behind gratitude. And, and we know that it's a, a really small piece of showing appreciation can build a, an entire team's resilience and confidence and engagement simply by regularly acknowledging and thanking people for their efforts. So things that, you know, really don't take a lot of time and sometimes don't take that much work to get good at either. We, we talk a lot about kind of flexing our gratitude muscle or our empathy mm -hmm. muscle, just getting better and better at it by the really small things that we do in a day. Yeah. So the more more we practice, the more it becomes natural. Because as you're saying, it's not something that comes naturally to a lot of a lot of us. We have to work at it. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm just trying to think. the The idea of acknowledgement, I think, is absolutely wonderful. But to me, sometimes it almost feels like someone is just going through the motions. It's like, oh, thank you. Uh, because I'm supposed to say thank you, really has to be authentic, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. You know, it really does have to be authentic. And there's even science in the world of gratitude that shows that if we simply say, just as you said, you know, thank you, but I don't really mean it, or I'm I'm really not invested in that. Thank you. It doesn't land in the same way on a on a physiological level, either for ourselves in saying it or for the other person on the receiving end. So it really does matter that we're authentic. And, and another thing that leaders can do around that is, again, build their skills, and it can take time, to show up authentically and with some vulnerability. And mm -hmm. vulnerability is, is one of the keys to fostering a, a culture of psychological safety is when somebody can really talk about uh, how they felt in a situation, challenges, what they're going through, something that you might not know about me and what I've experienced or am experiencing. Hmm. And as they do that more and more, again, they kind of connect to that ability to be more grateful, to express gratitude. And it really does begin to kind of... Um, you know, flesh out to to more and more people. It doesn't even just stay between those two people um, who might be experiencing it, but it it has an impact on on colleagues, on teams, and so everybody really begins to perform at a higher and more effective level. That's such an interesting idea. You know, just that idea of vulnerability, and I mean, oh my goodness, Brene Brown and others since her have. Right really brought that sort of to the popular discussion. Um, yeah. But, oh, that is so difficult to do. <laughs> you know, particularly if you're a, a leader and you've got a team counting on you. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I like the idea that it takes time and just little things, um, you know, these sort of small, you know, somebody used to talk about small acts of kindness and so small acts of empathy or vulnerability. Uh, doesn't have to be something huge, but just over no. time, these little um, these little acts will build up, and um, you imagine would open up as well. Yeah, I think it really does change people over time. There's there's a term known as high quality connections that comes out of, of some research as well, and it refers to a minute, two minute, brief interactions 
that two people have. And this is in real life, not, not uh, you know, remotely. But when you have these exchanges, both people really feel seen, heard, sometimes thanked or recognized. And they, what, what differentiates them, these high quality connections from just passing somebody in the hallway is that when you exchange communication, when you're relating to somebody, that it is authentic. And mm-hmm. so it, it, remembering that, and, and particularly as we are more remote and, and in a hybrid world, one of the things that we can do to really support well-being and engagement is when we are in in the offices is to be mindful of these very brief connections that we can have with one another on on any level and just ask how something is going or note that they did a really great piece of work in in a, in an area anything at all it's quick but it's real and and it comes from a place of real caring and there's been so many benefits that have been researched and, and seen from these high quality connections, such as you know, people are more engaged and more motivated and more focused and detect errors uh, more, more effectively than they would otherwise. And that they're actually physiologically healthier when they experience more high quality connections. So the, um, the, the benefits are, are unbelievably robust around connection and how we can uh, nurture these high quality connections. Right. And how it benefits both the person who is initiating the conversation and a recipient or what, I mean, I don't know if it even. Yes. Both. Yeah, absolutely. They've been referred to as, as interpersonal vitamins. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I, like, I, I really know exactly what you're saying because I've, I've felt that. Uh, myself mm. being on the receiving end, and yeah, it is like this just sort of charge. Um, like someone you know just gave me a, a vitamin B shot or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it's really true. And another thing that a leader can do, uh, again, when they're in the office, is and again, this takes some training and some time. But we are really we're connected beings. We connect to people's energy or moods for for lack of a better word and what's interesting is that if we're in a room of five or six people around around a board table that the person in authority the leader is is really the most contagious person Mm -hmm. so if that leader walks in and they're just really overwhelmed or very anxious about something or angry about something that mood becomes the most contagious mood in the room and so if you're thinking about as, as a mindful leader, you know, what do you want to foster here? And what's the outcome of the meeting that you hope to get to? To being able to check themselves, literally pause at the door, do what they need to do, whether it's a few deep breaths or a stretch or just compartmentalize in the way that they can and notice the, the mood or the energy that they're bringing into their group. Mm. It, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that when we're in person, how obviously that's so important in every interaction, but how that doesn't really translate to the virtual world. No, that's that's correct. It really doesn't. So, you know, when we're when we're working more virtually, there are still things that 
that leaders can do, you know, ensuring that there are regular phone calls, that there's accessibility. I have certainly spoken with associates that say that they feel ghosted, you know, by by their leaders. And to the point where sometimes they're they're sure they're getting fired. And I've actually heard that, you know, over the next week. And then what that does to their ability to sleep, to focus, to concentrate. When you know, the, the leader's not thinking that at all. They just, they're just doing their thing and not really being mindful of the fact that somebody's trying to reach them or connect with them. Yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, making more of an effort, um, you know, when the interaction is virtual. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, making more of an effort, making more of an effort to ask questions, to really ask them how they're doing. Um, you know, is there anything else that they could use to support them. We know that actually from the CBA study, a lack of resources came up uh, time and again as one of the main stressors for people. So, you know, how are people feeling resourced? How are they feeling supported? These mm-hmm. things are, are really important. And, mm-hmm. and this all means training opportunities for, for leaders, for senior legal professionals, because they are in their positions for many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, being a an expert at gratitude or empathy or psychological safety is generally not, you know, where their where their expertise comes from, as as it doesn't for many leaders. Yeah. So th- these are the kinds of things that we're we're hoping to do, you know, more of in the future is to be able to provide that kind of support and training to really up level. Uh, people's ability to support their teams more fully. Oh, it's so important. So important. And I just wondered too, how the sort of idea of habit building um, factors Mm. into this, because so much of what you're saying is like, just replace, I don't know if it's replacing old habits with new ones, or just, you know, creating these habits um, that will sort of foster connection, um, will show empathy, um, you know, will help boost sort of a positive uh, work environment or sort of in, infuse the work environment with more positivity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like this whole idea of habits. And yes, it all sounds great. And um, how do we go from that to doing it and doing it on a regular basis so that it actually becomes, you know, part of what we do? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's another great question, and you know, developing new habits or supporting some behaviors that we have, but wanting them to uh, be in our in our lives with uh, in a way that's a little more robust than they are. These things do take time, but there are steps that we can take to entrench behaviors uh, more fully and. Uh, as a coach, certainly these are these are steps that we talk about all the time. I think the first thing is just to know what you want, to, to know what is your aspiration? Where do you want to go? And aspiration is a little bit bigger than goal. It's, it's really kind of an overarching sense of what you want. So start with that. You know, what do I want my team to look like? How do I want my team to feel, for example? How do I want to feel as a leader? How, you know, what, what are the skills I'd like to have? And then we distill that down and, and understand more. What is the goal? What's the actual thing that you want to work on? It might be, I want to recognize people more regularly than I currently do. And then 
The next step, actually, which might be surprising, but one I think is really important is to be able to see yourself doing it. There's a lot of research around the need to be able to see yourself going through this particular uh, behavior, visualizing it or sensing it in some way. So just taking 20, 30 seconds on a regular basis to see yourself doing it. And that actually sets up something in our brains that um, allows us to sort of grease the wheels of our synapses such that when we go to do it, it's easier to do. It's as though we've laid out some neural connections just by visualizing. And we, we know that from research with athletes over years who, who do this practice. Mm -hmm. It makes it a little easier. It's a good place to start. And then always, always, I would ask somebody to think about the smallest step possible so that you will achieve success. So, you know, we know we don't do well with big, grand, you know, plans. But what's the tiniest step that you feel you can commit to? And it might be next week, I will recognize one of my team, you know, in one conversation I have, I will acknowledge something that they've done. One tiny step. It's always a nice idea to pair what you're going, what you're supporting yourself on or your new behavior with something you already do. We refer to that as habit stacking. So uh, it, it might be in, I'm having this team meeting, in this team meeting or this one-on-one -on -one meeting, I will say, really great work that you did in that, on that file last week. You know, so uh, in this meeting, I will. The idea of when I do something, when I get up in the morning, I will do one push-up. You know, <laughs> it could be really that simple. Yeah. And then another part that people often don't know about is the need to celebrate. And this is also more neurobiology research that we understand. And it's acknowledging our own success. And it's a really important part to, to just allow yourself to check off the calendar or say, yay me, I did it. <laughs> or, oh, that wasn't so hard. You know, it could be a very small inward smile, or it can be a very loud, robust, uh, you know, exclamation, whatever works for you. But to celebrate that you've just been successful at this one tiny step, because what that does is it, it releases dopamine. And dopamine is one of our feel-good neurochemicals, but it's also an internal motivating chemical. So that when we experience that, that dopamine, it actually internally motivates us to want to do that again. So really important to celebrate. Mm -hmm. those, those are really the basics. You know, I can go on. There's, there's, there are other things we know finding inspiration from other people can be really helpful and, and bringing a, a mindfulness and attentiveness, which of course takes some time to our own behaviors is helpful. Those are the basics. Yeah, well, so helpful. I, I love the idea of like the, the tiniest step, right? The tiniest right. step so that you will succeed. And then that in itself, just you know, at least all that sort of, you just feel good and it's a natural reinforcement and motivator and all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and another thing, the, um, did you call that uh, habit stacking? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 I really like that as well. And it's something that you're already doing. So it's mm -hmm. not like you have to do something completely different. Yeah. We never like to work that hard. You know, yeah. well, our brains are working hard all the time. So we, we are looking for efficiencies all the time. So mm -hmm. if I'm already 
sitting down at my desk, I might say, when I sit down at my desk, I'm going to take three mindful breaths before I start my day. Mm. Just as a way to sort of calm and focus. Mm -hmm. I'm there already, you know, (laughs) or when I have my cup of coffee. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, looking at what's already, what's what's already working well and what can I support around that? Yeah. Yeah. And I like the whole, like this thread of positivity that sort of um, finds its way through everything that you've been talking about. Because again, Mm -hmm. like profession is, you know, not known to be the most positive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I can see how that would have such an incredible uh, impact on. Well, you know, we we know from the science of, of areas such as positive psychology and others that that these strategies and tools are what allow our brains to really be at their best. Mm. So we like to really lean into these strategies. They are our resilience boosters and they are the things that help to um, really diminish perceived stress as possible and certainly to safeguard us around burnout. Yeah, so important. So important. Mm -hmm. Uh, What a great conversation, Marla. I really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with me about this, um, particularly in light of that report that was just released. And here we're hoping um, to see some recommendations soon. And uh, yeah, I know I'm very excited to to hear what they come up with. Um, Yes, I am as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to pass on to listeners. I think the fact that... um, This is going to be a process, you know, and there's no perfection that Mm -hmm. we are really all doing the best we can. And as as firms can start to see the need to train and support um, their leaders, that that slowly we can start to make shifts in culture and and that 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 will take some time. But certainly we can go there. And, you know, I'm just thinking of a a conversation I had that that I think exemplifies this with with a, a client, a, a legal professional recently, and he was reaching out to his um, his contact in order to receive some coaching. Um, he could see that as, as a benefit to him. And as he reached out to, to her on, on a, remotely, she was off camera for the entire conversation. And he was saying to me, this was a real personal conversation. And he, he didn't ask her to go on camera, but he just thought, what a difference that would have made for him. Mm-hmm. If she had gone on camera. And so sometimes it's just, again, the smallest things that can mm-hmm. make a difference to somebody feel feeling supported and heard. And, and a lot of that is us actually starting to think about these things, just mm-hmm. being mindful of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just so happy that the conversation has started. A long time coming, <laughs> in my mm-hmm. view. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's a topic for another day. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> Marla, how can listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? Well, I have a website, which is forhealth, F-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-A. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn, Marla Warner, and reach out to me that way. So Fantastic. website, LinkedIn, love to hear from people. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Marla. It was such a delight speaking with you. And um, yeah, I look forward to continuing this conversation at some point. Oh, thank you, Shelley. It was really my pleasure to be here and I would love to continue the conversation. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, 
I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.